be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading Chapter 10, The Happy Home, and Chapter 11, Wendy's Story, from Peter Pan, by James Matthew Barry. So let your eyes fall heavy, and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 10 The Happy Home One important result of the brush on the lagoon was that it made the Redskins their friends. Peter had saved Tiger Lily from a dreadful fate, and now there was nothing she and her brave would not do for him. All night they sat above, keeping watch over the home under the ground, and awaiting the big attack by the pirates, which obviously could not be much longer delayed. Even by day they hung about, smoking the pipe of peace, and looking almost as if they wanted tidbits to eat. They called Peter the Great White Father, prostrating themselves before him, and he liked this tremendously, so that it was not really good for him. The Great White Father, he would say to them in a very lordly manner, as they groveled at his feet, is glad to see the Picatinny warriors protecting his wigwam from the pirates. Me, Tiger Lily, that lovely creature would reply. Peter Pan save me. Me, his very nice friend. Me no let pirates hurt him. She was far too pretty to cringe in this way. But Peter thought it his due, and he would answer condescendingly, It is good. Peter Pan has spoken. Always when he said, Peter Pan has spoken, it meant that they must now shut up, and they accepted it humbly in that spirit. But they were by no means so respectful to the other boys whom they looked upon as ordinary braves. They said, how do, to them, and things like that, and what annoyed the boys was that Peter seemed to think this all right. Secretly, Wendy sympathised with them a little, but she was far too loyal a housewife to listen to any complaints against father. Father knows best, 
she always said, whatever her private opinion must be. Her private opinion was that the Redskins should not call her a squat. We have now reached the evening that was to be known among them as the Night of Nights because of its adventures and their upshot. The day, as if quietly gathering its forces, had been almost uneventful, and now the redskins in their blankets were at their posts above, while, below, the children were having their evening meal, all except Peter, who had gone out to get the time. The way you got the time on the island was to find the crocodile and then stay near him till the clock struck. The meal happened to be a make-believe tea and they sat around the board, guzzling in their greed and really, what with their chatter and recriminations, the noise, as Wendy said, was positively deafening. To be sure, she did not mind noise, but she simply would not have them grabbing things and then excusing themselves by saying that Tootles had pushed their elbow. There was a fixed rule that they must never hit back at meals, but should refer the matter of dispute to Wendy by raising the right arm politely and saying, I complain of so-and-so. But what usually happened was that they forgot to do this or did it too much. Silence, cried Wendy, when for the twentieth time she had told them that they were not to all speak at once. Is your mug empty, Slightly Darling? Not quite empty, Mummy, Slightly said, after looking into an imaginary mug. He hasn't even begun to drink his milk, Nibs interposed. This was telling, and Slightly seized his chance. I complain of Nibs, he cried promptly. John, however, had held up his hand first. Well, John, may I sit in Peter's chair as he is not here? Sit in Father's chair, John. Wendy was scandalized. Certainly not. He is not really our father, John answered. He didn't even know how a father does till I showed him. This was grumbling. We complain of John, cried the twins. Tootles held up his hand. He was so much the humblest of them. Indeed, he was the only humble one. That Wendy was specially gentle with him. I don't suppose... Tootle said diffidently that I could be father. No, Tootles. Once Tootles began, which was not very often, 
he had a silly way of going on. As I can't be father, he said heavily, I don't suppose, Michael, you would let me be baby. No, I won't, Michael rapped out. He was already in his basket. As I can't be baby, Tootle said, getting heavier and heavier and heavier. Do you think I could be a twin? No, indeed, replied the twins. It's awfully difficult to be a twin. As I can't be anything important, said Tootles, would any of you like to see me do a trick? No, they all replied. Then at last he stopped. I hadn't really any hope, he said. The hateful telling broke out again. Slightly is coughing on the table. The twins began with cheesecakes. Curly is taking both butter and honey. Nibs is speaking with his mouth full. I complain of the twins. I complain of Curly. I complain of Nibs. Oh dear, oh dear cried Wendy. I'm sure I sometimes think that spinsters are to be envied. She told them to clear away and sat down to her work basket, a heavy load of stockings and every knee with a hole in it as usual. Wendy, remonstrated Michael, I'm too big for a cradle. I must have somebody in a cradle, she said almost tartly, and you are the littlest. A cradle is such a nice homely thing to have about a house. While she sewed, they played around her, such a group of happy faces and dancing limbs lit up by the romantic fire. It had become a very familiar scene, this, in the home under the ground, but we are looking on it for the last time. There was a step above, and Wendy, you may be sure, was the first to recognize it. Children, I hear your father's step. He likes you to meet him at the door. Above, the redskins crouched before Peter. Watch well, braves, I have spoken. And then, as so often before, the gay children dragged him from his tree, as so often before, but never again. He had brought nuts for the boys as well as the correct time for Wendy. Peter, you just spoil them, you know, Wendy simpered. Ah, old lady, said Peter, hanging up his gun. It was me who told him mothers are called old lady, Michael whispered to Curly. I complain of Michael, 
said Curly instantly. The first twin came to Peter. Father, we want to dance. Dance away, my little man, said Peter, who was in a high good humour. But we want you to dance. Peter was really the best dancer among them, but he pretended to be scandalised. Me? My old bones would rattle. And mummy too. What? cried Wendy. The mother of such an armful dance. But on a Saturday night, slightly insinuated. It was not really Saturday night. At least it may have been, for they had long lost count of the days. But always if they wanted to do anything special, they said that it was Saturday night, and then they did it. Of course it is Saturday night, Peter, Wendy said, relenting. People of our figure, Wendy. But it is only among our own progeny. True, true. So they were told they could dance, but they must put on their nighties first. Ah, old lady, Peter said aside to Wendy, warming himself by the fire and looking down at her as she sat turning a heel. There is nothing more pleasant of an evening for you and me when the day's toil is over than to rest by the fire with the little ones nearby. It is sweet, Peter, isn't it? Wendy said, frightfully gratified. Peter, I think Curly has your nose. Michael takes after you. She went to him and put her hand on his shoulder. Dear Peter, she said, With such a large family, of course, I have now passed my best, but you don't want to change me, do you? No, Wendy. Certainly he did not want to change, but he looked at her uncomfortably, blinking, you know, like one not sure whether he was awake or asleep. Peter... What is it? I was just thinking, he said, a little scared. It is only make-believe, isn't it, that I am their father? Oh yes, Wendy said primly. You see, he continued apologetically, it would make me seem so old to be their real father. But they are ours, Peter. Yours and mine. But not really, Wendy, he asked anxiously. Not if you don't wish it, she replied, and she distinctly heard his sigh of relief. Peter, she asked, trying to speak firmly. What are your exact feelings to me? Those of a devoted son, Wendy. 
I thought so, she said, and went and sat by herself at the extreme end of the room. You are so queer, he said, frankly puzzled, and Tiger Lily is just the same. There is something she wants to be to me, but she says it is not my mother. No, indeed, it is not, Wendy replied with frightful emphasis. Now we know why she was prejudiced against the Redskins. Then what is it? It isn't for a lady to tell. Oh, very well, Peter said, a little nettled. Perhaps Tinkerbell will tell me. Oh, yes, Tinkerbell will tell you, Wendy retorted scornfully. She is an abandoned little creature. Here, Tink, who was in her bedroom, eavesdropping, squeaked out something impudent. She says she glories in being abandoned, Peter interpreted. He had a sudden idea. Perhaps Tink wants to be my mother. You silly ass, cried Tinkerbell in a passion. She had said it so often that Wendy needed no translation. I almost agree with her, Wendy snapped. Fancy Wendy snapping. But she had been much tired and she little knew what was to happen before the night was out. If she had known, she would not have snapped. None of them knew. Perhaps it was best not to know. Their ignorance gave them one or more glad hour, and as it was to be their last hour on the island, let us rejoice that there were sixty glad minutes in it. They sang and danced in their nightgowns. Such a deliciously creepy song it was, in which they pretended to be frightened at their own shadows. Little witting that so soon shadows would close in upon them, from whom they would shrink in real fear. So uproariously gay was the dance, and how they buffeted each other on the bed and out of it. It was a pillow fight rather than a dance, and when it was finished, the pillows insisted on one more bout, like partners who know they may never meet again. The stories they told before it was time for Wendy's goodnight story even slightly tried to tell a story that night, but the beginning was so fearfully dull that it appalled not only the others but himself, and he said gloomily, Yes, it is a dull beginning. I say, let us pretend that it is the end. And then at last they all got into bed for Wendy's story the story they loved best, the story Peter hated. 
Usually when she began to tell this story, he left the room or put his hands over his ears, and possibly if he had done either of those things this time, they might all still be on the island. But tonight, he remained on his stool, and we shall see what happened. Chapter 11 Wendy's Story Listen then, said Wendy, settling down to her story, with Michael at her feet and seven boys in bed. There was once a gentleman. I had rather he had been a lady, Curly said. I wish he had been a white rat, said Nibs. Quiet, their mother admonished them. There was a lady also, and... Oh, mummy, cried the first twin. You mean that there is a lady also, don't you? She is not dead, is she? Oh, no. I am awfully glad she isn't dead, said Tootles. Are you glad, John? Of course I am. Are you glad, Nibs? Rather. Are you glad, twins? We are glad. Oh dear, sighed Wendy. Little less noise there, Peter called out, determined that she should have fair play, however beastly a story it might be in his opinion. The gentleman's name, Wendy continued, was Mr. Darling, and her name was Mrs. Darling. I knew them, John said to annoy the others. I think I knew them, said Michael, rather doubtfully. They were married, you know, explained Wendy. And what do you think they had? White rats, cried Nib, inspired. No. It's awfully puzzling, said Tootles, who knew the story by heart. Quite, Tootles. They had three descendants. What is a descendant? Well, you are one, twin. Did you hear that, John? I am a descendant. Descendants are only children, said John. Oh dear, oh dear, sighed Wendy. Now these three children had a faithful nurse called Nana, but Mr. Darling was angry with her and chained her up in the yard, and so all the children flew away. It's an awfully good story, said Nibs. They flew away, Wendy continued, to the Neverland where the lost children are. I just thought they did, Curly broke in excitedly. I don't know how it is, but I just thought they did. Oh, Wendy, cried Tootles. 
was one of the lost children called Tootles? Yes, he was. I am in a story. Hurrah. I am in a story, Nibs. Hush. Now I want you to consider the feelings of the unhappy parents with all their children flown away. Oh, they all moaned, though they were not really considering the feelings of the unhappy parents one jot. Think of the empty beds. Oh, it's awfully sad, the first twin said cheerfully. I don't see how it can have a happy ending, said the second twin. Do you, Nibs? I'm frightfully anxious. If you knew how great is a mother's love, Wendy told them triumphantly, you would have no fear. She had now come to the part that Peter hated. I do like a mother's love, said Tootles, hitting Nibs with a pillow. Do you like a mother's love, Nibs? I do just, said Nibs, hitting back. You see, Wendy said complacently, our heroine knew that the mother would always leave the window open for her children to fly back in, so they stayed away for years and had a lovely time. Did they ever go back? Let us now, said Wendy, bracing herself up for her finest effort. Take a peep into the future, and they all gave themselves the twist that makes peeps into the future easier. Years have rolled by, and who is this elegant lady of uncertain age? alighting at London Station. Oh, Wendy, who is she? cried Nibs, every bit as excited as if he didn't know. Can it be? Yes, no, it is, the fair Wendy. Oh, and who are the two noble portly figures accompanying her? now grown to man's estate? Can they be John and Michael? They are. Oh. See, dear brothers, said Wendy, pointing upwards. There is the window, still standing open. Ah, now we are rewarded for our sublime faith in a mother's love. So up they flew to their mummy and daddy, and Pen cannot describe the happy scene over which we draw a veil. That was the story, and they were as pleased with it as the fair narrator herself. Everything just as it should be, you see. Off we skip like the most heartless things in the world which is what children are, but so attractive as we have an entirely selfish time, and then when we have need of special attention, 
we nobly return from it, confident that we shall be rewarded instead of smacked. So great indeed was their faith in a mother's love that they felt they could afford to be callous for a bit longer. But there was one there who knew better, and when Wendy finished, he uttered a hollow groan. What is it, Peter? she cried, running to him, thinking he was ill. She felt him solicitously, lower down than his chest. Where is it, Peter? It isn't that kind of pain, Peter replied darkly. Then what kind is it? Wendy, you are wrong about mothers. They all gathered round him in a fright. So alarmed was his agitation, and with a fine candour, he told them what he had hitherto concealed. Long ago, he said, I thought like you that my mother would always keep the window open for me, so I stayed away for moons and moons and moons, and then flew back, but the window was barred, for mother had forgotten all about me, and there was another little boy sleeping in my bed. I am not sure that this was true, but Peter thought it was true, and it scared them. Are you sure mothers are like that? Yes. So this was the truth about mothers, the toads. Still, it is best to be careful, and no one knows so quickly as a child when he should give in. Wendy, let us go home, cried John and Michael together. Yes, she said, clutching them. Not tonight, asked the lost boy, bewildered. They knew in what they called their hearts that one can get on quite well without a mother, and that it is only the mothers who think they can't. At once, Wendy replied resolutely for the horrible thought had come to her. Perhaps mother is in half mourning by this time. This dread made her forgetful of what must be Peter's feelings, and she said to him rather sharply, Peter, will you make the necessary arrangements? If you wish it, he replied, as coolly as if she had asked him to pass the nuts. Not so much as a sorry to lose you between them. If she did not mind the parting, he was going to show her was Peter, that neither did he. But of course he cared very much, and he was so full of wrath against grown-ups who, as usual, was spoiling everything, that as soon as he got inside his tree, he breathed intentionally quick, short breath 
breaths at a rate of about five to a second. He did this because there is a saying in Neverland that every time you breathe, a grown-up dies, and Peter was killing them off vindictively as fast as possible. Then having given the necessary instructions to the Redskins, he returned to the home, where an unworthy scene had been enacted in his absence. Panic-stricken at the thought of losing Wendy, the lost boys had advanced upon her threateningly. It will be worse than before she came, they cried. We shan't let her go. Let's keep her prisoner. I chain her up. In her extremity, an instinct told her to which of them to turn. Tootles, she cried. I appeal to you. What is not strange? She appealed to Tootles, quite the silliest one. Grandly, however, did Tootles respond. For that one moment he dropped his silliness and spoke with dignity. I am just Tootles, he said, and nobody minds me. But the first who does not behave to Wendy like an English gentleman, I will blood him severely. He drew back his hanger, and for that instant his son was at noon. The others held back uneasily. Then Peter returned, and they saw at once that they would get no support from him. He would keep no girl in Neverland against her will. Wendy, he said striding up and down, I have asked the Redskins to guide you through the wood, as flying tires you so. Thank you, Peter. Then, he continued, in the short, sharp voice of an accustomed to be obeyed, Tinkerbell will take you across the sea. Wake her, Nibs. Nibs had to knock twice before he got an answer, though Tink had really been sitting up in bed listening for some time. Who are you? How dare you? Go away, she cried. You are to get up, Tink, Nibs called, and take Wendy on a journey. Of course, Tink had been delighted to hear that Wendy was going, but she was jolly well determined not to be her courier, and she said it in still more offensive language. Then she pretended to be asleep again. She says she won't, Nibs exclaimed, aghast at such insubordination, whereupon Peter went sternly towards the young lady's chamber. Tink, he rapped out, If you don't get up and dress at once, I'll open the curtains, and then we shall see you in all your negligee. 
this made her leap to the floor. Who said I wasn't getting up? She cried. In the meantime, the boys were gazing very forlornly at Wendy, now equipped with John and Michael for the journey. But this time, they were dejected, not merely because they were about to lose her, but also because they felt that she was going off to something nice to which they had not been invited. Novelty was beckoning them as usual. Crediting them with a nobler feeling, Wendy melted. Dear ones, she said, if you will all come with me, I feel utmost sure I can get my father and mother to adopt you. The invitation was meant specially for Peter, but each of the boys was thinking exclusively of himself, and at once they jumped with joy. But won't they think us rather a handful? Nibs asked in the middle of his jump. Oh no, said Wendy, rapidly thinking it out. It will only mean having a few beds in the drawing room. They can be hidden behind the screens on first Thursday. Peter, can we go? They all cried imploringly. They took it for granted that if they went he would go also, but really they scarcely cared. Thus children are ever ready, when novelty knocks, to desert their dearest ones. All right, Peter replied with a bitter smile, and immediately they rushed to get their things. And now, Peter, Wendy said, thinking she had put everything right, I am going to give you your medicine before you go. She loved to give them medicine, and undoubtedly gave them too much. Of course it was only water, but it was out of a bottle, and she always shook the bottle and counted the drops, which gave it a certain medicinal quality. On this occasion, however, she did not give Peter his draught, for just as she had prepared it, She saw a look on his face that made her heart sink. Get your things, Peter, she cried, shaking. No, he answered, pretending indifference. I am not going with you, Wendy. Yes, Peter. No. To show that her departure would leave him unmoved, he skipped up and down the room, playing gaily on his heartless pipes. She had to run about after him, though it was rather undignified. To find your mother, she coaxed. Now, if Peter had ever quite had a mother, he no longer missed her. He could do very well without one. He had thought them out, and remembered only their bad points. No, no, he told Wendy decisively. 
perhaps you would say I was old, and I just want always to be a little boy and to have fun. But Peter, no, and so the others had to be told. Peter isn't coming. Peter not coming? They gazed blankly at him, their sticks over their backs, and on each stick bundle. Their first thought was that if Peter was not going, he had probably changed his mind about letting them go. But he was far too proud for that. If you find your mothers, he said darkly, I hope you will like them. The awful cynicism of this made an uncomfortable impression, and most of them began to look rather doubtful. After all, their faces said, were they not noodles to want to go? Now then, cried Peter, no fuss, no blubbering, goodbye Wendy, and he held out his hand cheerily quite as if they must really go now, for he had something important to do. She had to take his hand, and there was no indication that he would prefer a thimble. You will remember about changing your flannels, Peter, she said, lingering over him. She was always so particular about their flannels. Yes, and you will take your medicine. Yes, that seemed to be everything, and an awkward pause followed. Peter, however, was not the kind that breaks down before other people. Are you ready, Tinkerbell? he called out. Aye, aye, then lead the way. Tink darted up the nearest tree, but no one followed her, for it was at this moment that the pirates made their dreadful attack upon the redskins. Above, where all had been so still, the air was rent with shrieks and the clash of steel. Below, there was dead silence. Mouths opened and remained opened. Wendy fell on her knees, but her arms were extended towards Peter. All arms were extended to him, as if suddenly blown in his direction. They were beseeching him mutely not to desert them. As for Peter, he seized his sword, the same he thought he had slain Barbecue with, and the lust of battle was in his eye.